Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello and welcome to this episode of the World of Work podcast. Today we're going to be talking about one of our favorite conversations. We're going to be exploring diversity and equity and inclusion or DEI. And we're lucky today to have a great guest. We've got Sophia Christensen joining us from the US today. She has a company called Lexicon Lens. She's based in Boulder in Colorado. And she's also written a chapter for the book, The Secret Sauce for Leading Transformational Change. And as I'm sure we've spoken to a few of the different authors on some of their topics. Before we jump in and I start asking some questions about the DNI space. Sophia, could you introduce yourself and say a bit more about yourself and your background, please? Sure. Hello. So I'm Sophia, and I consult, coach, research, and teach in the area of inclusion and belonging. I help organizational leaders and their teams adopt those healthy behaviors to create cultures that are inclusive for all people. And this includes aligning DEI practices with business and people strategies and change management, people development, executive coaching. And my research is in inclusion and belong and especially centers on those behaviors that we want to see from leaders that we believe are inclusive. Thank you. And it's, it's great to hear some of the words you're bringing up there. You're talking about culture, you're talking about belonging, you're talking about practices, you're talking about coaching. You're really bringing together a lot of that sort of change toolkit that affects the experiences people have in the workplace. And I'm going to probably come on to belonging later because it's a phrase that isn't as much, at least where I work in that public eye, when we're talking about the experience of work, but it crosses over so well with inclusion that I'd like to jump into it a little bit more. When we talk about things like diversity and inclusion, I'd like to start by exploring a little bit about why this matters, right? Mm -hmm. We hear about diversity and inclusion a lot, but I'd just like to kick us off by asking you, what is it about DEI that that you think is important? What's the, I guess, what's the business case for it and the hard bottom line type stuff? How does it help organizations? Mm -hmm. But also, is there another case for it? Is there a bit more of a moral case or that sort of triple bottom line case for changing Mm -hmm. this? So I guess just over to you on this. Sure. So it's very simple. I believe that DEI means business profit. And if an organization from the board all the way down is not embracing females and people of color in their organization, then they are leaving potential profits aside, right? They are really turning away business. And so I believe that every business has a responsibility for profit's sake to include everybody and to really pay attention to how they are growing their business, capturing the interest and the really the support of people of all kinds. I believe also from the moral perspective that organizations live in communities. Organizations are living things, right? And they need to give back to their communities. They need to be developing people in their communities. They could be potential employees at some point, maybe not, but they have a responsibility to really give back to the communities in which they 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 live. And just from an ally standpoint, ship is one of those big topics that, that at least we talk about in the United States that's part and parcel to DEI. And I believe that 
as an ally, as a white person working in this space, my responsibility is to uplift people who might not have had the same opportunities that I have had, just by virtue of the fact that they just don't have the same skin color that I have. So we all thrive together. That's what I believe. And I, and that's the kind of, how should I put it? That's the kind of thing that I expect from my clients. It's really an all in. I love that phrase, all in, all thrive together. I thought that was really nice. That really struck me. The sense that we are joined up and connected and that we thrive together. And Something that popped into my mind when you were speaking there is that story about the Ford Motor Company when it was started and the raising of employee salaries and the reduction of employee hours there in the basis or in the belief that to some extent, if you do that and include and share across your population, you'll create more people to, to buy into your product was for driving there. But it was about for more people we conclude, we include from our employment practices, for more people that can be part of our business from a business perspective that I think fits in with that, with that sort of profit and bottom line piece. And you talked about that, that helping others thrive and that connection to our communities. And it really feels like as organizations, we're part of an ecosystem. And organizations have a role to influence the ecosystem they're in as well as to be influenced by it. So I think that's interesting. There's much sort of complexity in that space, but I think it's it's great to get both that business case and that moral case down there. I was going to come back to you and just jump in. So we've talked a little bit about why. If we talk about diversity and inclusion, I think those terms are fairly understood by people. But I wanted to jump up on the, that belonging phrase now. And just could you say a little bit more about belonging and how that fits within this, what the relation is between belonging and inclusion and diversity? Sure. Some people refer to DEI as DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And belonging, I think, really is the, it's the sense of belonging to a community, belonging to a team, belonging to a group. So it is something that is created as a feeling that is created after you have inclusion. So the idea, kind of the big concept is developing leaders to be inclusive. So honing in on the real behaviors and the language that support inclusion. And as a benefit to that, you create belonging, a sense of ownership and lack of better word, belonging again to, right, to a group or a team. Yeah. And I would then add in there something else that, that I actually touched upon in the article that I wrote that leaders accepting a person's uniqueness is also very important. So there's this, there, from a behavioral standpoint, there is a web or a fabric that is woven together between belonging and uniqueness. So the sense of belonging that you belong to a team and a value of human uniqueness, right? So I am valued for who I am and what I bring to the table and my perspective, my value. So when you have those two together, then you create an atmosphere of inclusion. But the behaviors of inclusion are separated out into this idea of how to make someone feel like they belong and how to make someone feel that they're unique and that is valued on the team. So it's not always easy to 
to strike that balance. And I think that's where people are constantly kind of weighing which way to go in because at some points in time, you just need to make a decision and move forward. And that might not make everybody happy, right? But you have to move versus taking the time during the collaborative process to say, perhaps you are a, you come across as someone who's more introverted for example. And how would you like to contribute that also values your introversion? Because you have something important to bring to the team. So just there, there's a little bit of nuance there. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, and I think that'll be really helpful for listeners to, to understand how some of this fits together. If we start off and think about, say, I'm a manager in a team and I'm listening to this and I'm wondering where I am as a starting point, how do I know as a right. leader or manager if if I need to explore this work, what are some of the signs that maybe I've got an organization or a team that doesn't provide a sense of belonging or doesn't provide an opportunity for inclusion or isn't diverse in its representation? Why is a starting point for me to be decided if that's, I want to do more of it? That's a big question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the core of it, right? So, it, so there is a tendency for organizations and rightly to operationalize behavior. And when I go into companies, the big question is, how do we operationalize this across our entire population? Who's going to be, who's going to be, the, what's going to be the population that we go after first to make this change or to be this spirit or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish? And I say to them, there is a role that the individual plays in operationalizing this behavior. So, there is definitely value, a cultural value to making a change or showing that inclusion is important, defining it and dealing with kind of the core issues around diversity and inclusion. But there is also something very important to say about how the individual plays a role in the everyday experience, not only for that person, but for everybody around them. And people managers are really the, the core of that, right? They are the focal point for me because they have so much influence on how they interpret the culture of the organization, how they embody that and embrace it and behave with their people. So if you are lucky enough to serve on a team where you have a leader who makes you feel like you belong and does that with everybody around them, then you're very fortunate. But there could be other people who just are not trained in that area, who do not value, have not considered the importance of DEI as a business imperative, as the bottom line, and part of their business strategy. And so you can get what I'm trying to say to you is there's a blend between the two, right? And so as an individual, if you are managing a team, one thing that you can do is have very clear boundaries about acceptable behavior. So if you are leading a meeting with your team and you find that more, there are two people maybe that are saying more than others in the room or that a female employee is being interrupted or Maybe you have, get the hint that one of your diverse employees mentioned an idea, but all of a sudden that's mentioned by another person, and then that person takes ownership for the idea. Then you really have a sense of what's going on, right? Of course, awareness and having that insight that 
this stuff is going on, this behavior is going on is important. And then setting the boundaries, setting the ground rules, setting a team charter for we're going to listen to everybody. We're going to bring in diverse opinions. We are going to make sure that everyone is contributing. We're going to um, make sure that the person that get that provides the idea gets credit for that idea and then showing people that interrupting for example is not acceptable and i see this all the time and i've even had someone say to me there are all kinds of reasons for interrupting and i just there might be an infinite number of reasons for interrupting however it cuts somebody off and the effect of that of being cut off is that it makes it more difficult to share especially for people who have been interrupted and cut off most of their lives. So those are just some of the things that, that I talk to people managers about doing first off. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we haven't talked about and haven't mentioned yet is the, is really the impact that culture has, right? Yeah. So a manager could provide a pocket I'll talk, call it a pocket of hope for inclusion and belonging on his or her team. And then in the larger culture, though, of that organization, it's not valued or understood. And so no matter what, you could create a pocket of positivity for that. But if the individuals in that team want to grow, they have to go to other places within the company, perhaps, if they want to stay there, right? It behooves the organization to really take a look at what their culture is. The difference between what they say they do and what they actually do, what's written down, and then how work actually gets done. Yeah, brilliant. And that sort of relationship between the espoused values and ways of working of an organization and the genuine practices is so often, those are often not lined up. So I think that's really interesting. You said a little thing I made a note of as you were talking there, as you said, a lot of people have not considered and are not aware of a lot of these factors. What's your experience of that? Many of the people who listen to this and people who work in the space are fairly immersed in this. So I think people become attuned to looking out for some signals and signs and knowledge about things like inclusion and belonging in the workplace. What's your sense more broadly of middle managers that you work with? Do you get a sense there's a lack of general awareness about this? Or that they've not stepped back and thought about this or they're running too fast to to pay attention to it? Have you got any reflections on that? My interpretation is that people who are sandwiched come in the middle of a company, manager to director level, get squeezed. They have so many things on their plates, so much to accomplish. Business profits are really landing on how they work and how they motivate their people to work. And what I find at times is that those people who could have the most impact on a day-to-day -day level might not completely understand what it is, or they might see it as separate and think of it as just another thing that they have to do. And so that's why it becomes really important for leadership to embody it to repeat all the time in every public setting that they have that DEI is a business imperative. It's just, it is just the way we do business. We don't leave any stone unturned. 
And when you hear that over and over again from your leadership, and then you watch for those behaviors, then you start to adopt them. If they are valued at the top, they will be adopted farther down. And then I think that DEI best practices need to be incorporated in every aspect of the talent experience from the interviewing to the hiring and onboarding to the talent development and promotion and even to the offboarding. So if an individual leaves an organization, what questions are being asked to understand why they are going? not glossing over reasons for their departure. Yeah, and thinking about that sort of employee journey or colleague journey or talent journey process or experience that people go through is a helpful way to find points of influence and points that we can change into a little bit of best practice within our organization to be more aligned with some of these value-based principles that, that we come up with. Your point about leader attention and role modeling and sponsorship of this type of work it really strikes me as important that really stands out for me and i also just wanted to reflect back before i move on on your point about the fact that organizations are not culturally homogenous so we do get these pockets of hope as you say and trying to get an understanding and put a definition on an organization's culture is so hard because we get all these microcultures and micro experiences that people have and trying to I guess trying to identify and foster those productive, positive cultures is a real challenge. I don't mean to interrupt you, but there's there's something important to be said about culture and kind of the difference between what is is expected and then how work really gets done. And that is that a person's experience of a culture is really based on their management. And so that's their interpretation of what that culture really means. And they look to their higher levels to give them an example of what good behavior looks like in that company. And so culture is extremely difficult to change because there is an unspoken reality to it. But as Ian Ziskin, who is the lead writer for the book, A Secret Sauce for Leading Transformational Change, he said, people don't like to change but they don't like to fail more. And I believe that's really the case. You can be motivated for very positive reasons and you could be motivated because you just don't want to fail. Yeah, that's a great and helpful framing. And as you you were talking about this, we're talking about the pressures that those sort of middle manager leaders of teams face and there's so much pressure and there's so much competition for their own leadership and management attention. Mm -hmm. There's so many factors influencing them. There's so many time pressures and they've got the underlying beliefs that they bring to each situation and those underlying beliefs of those around them. And one of the things I wonder about is it feels to me like a lot of the work that we do on culture and inclusion and belonging and ways of working more broadly in which we are trying to modify the underlying beliefs that people have about what good behaviors look like or what good impacts look like. A lot of those efforts to modify that aspect of work really are investments for the future. So there aren't immediate payoffs or very seldomly are very quick payoffs for that type of work. It tends to be a longer term investment for the future of your team, for the future of your organization. Whereas doing something else on my to-do list quickly, getting somebody in the door, if I need to do that as fast as I can so I can hand over tasks or tackling a, a tactical objective now, has a more immediate payoff. How do you think leaders feel about balancing those? Or do you think they perceive cultural work as more of an investment? 
Well, that's a big question. I wish that leaders saw investment in culture as being something that, that was more important than it can fall really on the list of priorities. But the bottom line is that what is important right now is going to be solved for. And culture can take a back seat to all of that. But I do think that if, and what I've observed is that if a leader instills the value of culture with, within their team and talks about it in a business sense to promote those behaviors that are more inclusive, that are going to build a sense of belonging for members of their team, it will start to take hold. And so that's one side of it. But the other side of it is really this idea of focusing in on inclusive leadership as a core leadership skill and diving into what the behaviors are that someone needs to show in order to be inclusive. And that can have a very positive effect on, on a team, on a division, de depending on where you sit in the company. It can have a very important effect on culture. Yeah, thank you. And I guess part of that echoes back to the underlying beliefs of the managers and leaders that we have, if we can help those managers and leaders develop underlying beliefs that having an inclusive <laughs> approach to managing their teams, that creating a sense of belonging, that creating equity, that, that being inclusive will help them in their progression through an organization, that's a helpful thing. And sometimes I think the sense is that we talk about those things being positive for our organizations, but quite often the reality that individuals see is an individual, one of their peers, progressing despite bad mm -hmm. behaviors, despite That's all right. of those things. How, what's a fulcrum or, or leverage point we can use to try and think about or address some of that within organizations? <clears throat> Have you got any thoughts? Yeah, that's another really good question. And I think that it's really important to have those feedback mechanisms in place that let you know when a leader is ready, able, valued to progress in the organization. And I have a specific example, an individual that I worked with who was, it still is with this Fortune 500 organization. He was valued for his results and he was very keen on progressing in the organization. And his HR partner and as well as his manager both said, if you can't make a change to behave differently in the way that you work with people, because he was, he was ten, had a tendency to be a bully, then you're not going to progress any farther in the company. So there was a deliberate decision that leadership made to say, we really value you. You do a great job. You are creating incredible results for us. And we cannot promote you anymore because your behavior takes such a toll on the people that you manage. And the churn that happens there really does eat into profits, quite frankly. And it's hard to replace people on the team. In that case, that company bit the bullet and said, no, we have to take a look at this. And what is acceptable behavior at the top? What are we aiming for? And what are we what is the message that we're sending if we do promote this individual to a higher level? What's going to happen to the progression of, of our business, quite frankly? Yeah, yeah, and, and you can and see. We were successful at turning that around, but it really? took a lot of hard work 
And it took very thoughtful introspection that continues. Yeah. And that personal development and self-awareness and sort of personal growth that goes with that can be can be a bit of a shock to people. You talked about people not being aware of the importance that you said they they've not even considered this stuff. And I think for some people who are running at a million miles an hour and are achievement driven and are results oriented to that extreme, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have even thought about themselves and their impact in such a way or placed value on some of those. So it, it does feel like the ability of leadership to define what promotable qualities are is important in shaping that culture and sticking by those and sanctioning poor behaviors and celebrating good ones from a senior position is, is very helpful. One more thing that, yeah. that, that I think is really important to mention is that in the talent review process, inclus- inclusive behavior needs to be measured. Yeah. What we focus on, what we measure tend to become a focal point and to become important. And so that is a very critical part of the equation. Yeah. And I was going to ask a little bit about that because you talked about feedback being an important piece of this. How, how do you go about measuring inclusive behavior for a leader within their organization? Obviously, leaders present a certain way. We're all desirous of managing impressions of us and doing a little bit of impression management. And people who are sometimes a little bit more towards that semi-toxic type of leader tend to, or many of them in my experience, present up very well and present down less well. How do we find the truth and get an objective measure of that inclusivity? Organizations in their review process have an upward review component, most likely, and those need to be taken seriously. There, There is a there is a critical value to hearing from people, not only who are your supporters, but might not be your supporters. And an organization needs to, needs to value what they hear from those people being maybe managed by someone who's semi-toxic or toxic. And so that's one part of it. Then there needs to be an inclusion score. There needs to be just like any other measurable point that we have on a review. Inclusion needs to sit there as is this person inclusive in their behavior? Give some examples of how this person is inclusive. Does this individual listen to me when I speak? Does this person promote collaborative behavior? Does this person ask questions? These are softer skills. A value of humility, for example, does this leader show humility? Does this leader value cognitive complexity across the board? These are indicators about inclusion and how a manager behaves with their people. And those pieces of feedback are extremely important in building that inclusive leadership muscle, if you will. That's helpful. Thank you. And those sound like a lot of good aspects to, to seek to measure in our various review processes and to be aware of, particularly in larger organizations. I think smaller organizations would have complexity around just the sheer number of people and ability to get data and anonymity of data and all those things that I think probably make it a little bit more difficult in organizations under 100 people, for example. I was going to ask a question, and it's just checking it out there. If we think about culture change within organizations, which 
leads to inclusion. Do you think it's possible to have a bottom-up, grassroots approach to culture change? Or do you think culture change of this nature really needs to come from the top? What do you think that relation is? Or is it somewhere in the middle? Who are the people who are really making the decisions in the organization? I guess the answer is yes to all the above. What I've seen to work is really that senior level leaders are embodying, embracing, showing what it means to be inclusive, not only in a soft skill sense, but in a business sense and a profit sense. And people who are more at the ground level of that organization or individual contributors or new managers, they can also have an impact on that. They can, they can also embody that. But I have not personally experienced the rise of cultural change only based on the grassroots approach. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. I've not either. Just, you know, I was just wondering if you had, I think I've seen in instances where maybe senior leaders are influenced by other individuals in the organization or their peers mm-hmm. in such a way that they then change some of their thinking or approach to inclusion. But a lot of my experience is that the senior leaders do cast long shadows and they really need to sure. be desirous of these changes and informed themselves, my experience. Well, think about your organization and how it's structured, right? You have a board probably or some kind of advisory group, and then you have you have leaders, senior leadership and on down. And ultimate decisions are made by senior leadership and the board is very engaged in aspects of that decision-making and the financial happenings of the company. So I believe that from the board all the way down, you need to be seeing diversity and you need to be hearing diversity, hearing inclusion, experiencing the behaviors that go along with that. That's how we're all structured. And so we're always going to look to someone who has a higher level of status higher level of importance in an organization to give us an indication as to how we should behave. It's just the way it works. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. And getting into those boardrooms is so important for making a difference Mm -hmm. or influencing the the leaders in those rooms is so important. We were talking a little bit about some of the behaviors and you've touched on a lot of them. You referenced the theoretical model of inclusive leadership by Randall and others in, in what you've written. Could you just say a little bit more about inclusive behaviors and expand a little bit on that. Sure. Randall and colleagues developed a theoretical model of inclusive leadership, which I find to be useful. And they stipulate that, that, as I said before, to include leaders need to create an environment that's on the one hand, creating this sense of belonging and on the other hand, valuing personal uniqueness. And so I found this to be a useful way to start with leaders and organizations who have not traditionally examined inclusion as a leadership value, if you will. And so inclusive leaders value diversity and cognitive complexity and humility. And inclusive leaders exercise clear boundaries. They listen more than they speak. They ask questions. They talk about DEI in a way that brings it home from a business strategy perspective. Every piece of what you do in an organization is about making profit, right? Bottom line. And a leader's capacity to make that real, to link DEI to business profit, 
is going to create, as I said before, a sense of urgency around understanding those communities and potential customers that a company has not attracted or perhaps overlooked without really even knowing it. Randall and colleagues just bring forward a very simple formula for looking at inclusive behaviors, which I found helpful. And that links really to the research that I do on inclusion and belonging as well, because I am specifically focused in what those behaviors are and actually how leaders speak. That's part of it as well. That promotes inclusion and belonging on their teams and in their organizations. That's brilliant. Could you say a little bit more about that when you talk about your research and the way leaders speak? Could you just elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Behavior, think about communication. Think about how do we take in information? A very small part of that is actually verbal. We are looking at and listening to how people comport themselves, that the unspoken communication, as well as listening for the words that mean something to the individual that's hearing them. And I'm focused on really honing in on the specific behaviors, techniques, and unspoken kind of of behaviors, if you will, that leaders show to prove that they are inclusive. So Nice. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Trying to separate it out from the spoken language and the the confinement and boxing in 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 words of what we say to broaden it to our broader behaviors and in presentation and around that that sounds really interesting we've got just a couple more questions i'm going to wrap this up a little bit in the interest of time but i've got a couple one i'd like to just just to touch on psychological safety as a factor, something that you mention in your paper, and a lot of the things that, that we've spoken about seem like there's a bit of an overlay, overlap with psychological mm-hmm. safety. Would you just explore that a little bit? And is psychological safety a good foundation uh, starting point with some actionable things that, that leaders could do to lay yeah. some of the groundwork for inclusion? What are your thoughts on that? Sure. So let's start with the definition. Psychological safety is something that happens in a group or team level, right? And it's the belief that I will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, and mistakes. I often think about psychological safety as being part and parcel to a learning culture. And if you think about what a learning culture looks like, working collaboratively is an expectation. But it can be interpersonally challenging, right? So for example, let's say a manager values a team culture that is founded on learning and he wants everyone to feel like they can express their ideas and ask questions and address concerns or admit mistakes or even admit ignorance on a topic, right? However, it's very possible that team members will express interpersonal threat or dissatisfying behaviors that an individual is either ignorant about a topic or uncertain about a topic. And so that could look like laughing at a person who's unsure or rolling one's eyes or snickering 
right? Or gossiping about that person. And those are really tough behaviors to deal with. But the risk is really real for someone who's not quite making the decision yet about whether or not they're going to buy into something or they understand something. And the threats are subtle, but very powerful, and they inhibit organizational learning. So I talk about organizational learning because open-mindedness and having a sense of safety in exploration needs to be valued in a company. And that really does connect into creating a foundation of helping us all feel very safe in the environment in which we're working and then helping us become more inclusive. So it's, it's all, you're touching on so many topics that are really all blended together, but psychological safety is a foundational piece of DEI. And if a person doesn't feel safe in their environment, just from a chemical level, the cortisol rises and they can't think and they're not producing and they're not bringing their, gosh, and I don't like this statement at all, but for the lack of better terminology, they're not able to bring their best selves to work. And so everybody loses out, especially the individual who's been affected. So psychological safety is really foundational. Brilliant. Thank you. I struggle with the best self phrase as well, but I don't know of a better one, so I use it too, <laughs> as well as being at my best and things like that. One, one last one sort of last question before I go on to wrapping things up, which is I've been reading and listening to some things recently and working really with clients who are very culturally diverse. So we've been working with clients in various regions of Africa and Asia who I think come from very different cultures to us. And we've been doing work on things like psychological safety and things like emotions in the workplace, emotional intelligence. And a lot of the work that I've been reading around the edges of this is about the perhaps difficulty in translating some of our concepts and understanding about right. emotions and culture cross, cross nationally, cross culturally like that. Have you got any thoughts or experience on this? I, I could tell from your background that you've studied through organizations, learning institutions in different parts of the world. Have you got any sense on the applicability of some of these concepts more broadly as we uh, go across cultures. Yeah, that's another big topic. I like to think globally, but act regionally. And so there is, one has to be aware that there are going to be cultural differences across regions of the world. And then there are also going to be laws that differ. Right. So there are certain questions we can ask in the United States that are not acceptable to ask in other countries. And, and there are considerations in each country that need to be brought to the fore in terms of thinking about DEI best practice. I think that having foundational programming, like employee resource groups, for example, are very useful in terms of valuing and showing value for kind of that global sense of what the organization values of their people across the globe and also the regional values that each community brings to a company. So having that voice is very important. The way that inclusion and belonging is spoken about across the globe, a leader needs to be aware of. And those considerations come also down to cultural protocol, right? 
<laughs> what is acceptable, how we present ourselves, do we shake hands, how do we present, how do we sit at a table and actually have a meal, what do we use for that. So those elements play a strong role in what a person sees and values and then is either warms up to or is repelled by the individual that they're working with. So I think it's a cultural value within an organization. It's also a business value that, that has to be explored based on where the company is located and who's working for the company and so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's a vast topic in and of itself. Yeah. And it, there's no simple answer. These things are just messy and complicated. There's no one answer. There's no right. quick solution. The bottom line is this. All human beings want to be heard. All human beings want to be valued. And so if you start from maybe that premise of recognizing that we're all equal and that we want to treat one another with respect, then that sets you up for curiosity, doesn't it? So that when you go visit a foreign country, maybe you're engaging with the people that you work with who are native to that land in a more sensitive manner, which does then open the door to something more, I think, an understanding. Brilliant. Thank you. I was going to ask another question, but I like that framing okay. so much, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm just <laughs> going to ask, I think we can treat that as a final thought. I'm just going to ask, how can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Oh, thank you. The best way to reach me is on LinkedIn at Sophia Christensen. And on the top right corner of my feed, there's a QR code that can be scanned that gives all of my contact information. I am in the process of redoing my website, which is lexiconlens.com. And it will be up and running soon, hopefully within a month, which will make me a very happy woman because <laughs> they're always a project. But there too, it will be announced on social media. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget, as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that everyone can attend. You can sign up for these and our newsletter, The Wow Mail, on our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io.